0: Good morning, church. Our scripture this morning is Luke 24, verses 36 through 53. That's Luke 24, 36 through 53. While they were saying these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. But they were startled and terrified, thinking they had seen a ghost. Then he said to them, Why are you frightened, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. It is me. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones like you see I have. And when he had said these things, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still could not believe because of their joy and were amazed, he said to them, Do you have anything here to eat? So they gave him a piece of boar oil fish, and he took it and ate it in front of them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it stands written that the Christ would suffer and would rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all nations "'beginning from Jerusalem. "'You are my witnesses of these things. "'And look, I am sending you what my Father promised. "'But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power.' "'Then Jesus led them out as far as Bethany, "'and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. "'Now during the blessing he departed "'and was taken up into heaven.' So they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple courts blessing God. This is the word of our Lord.
1: You felt like moses was reading that to you that was the best <laughs> thank you al we appreciate it <clears throat> what i love about cbf is all ages being involved in our church it just excites me from teens i just seen one of the teens bring out the podium and then having al read it's uh, just great let's go to the lord in prayer father we come to you this morning we thank you for your word THANK YOU FOR THOSE IN OUR MIDST WHO HAVE FAITHFULLY SERVED YOU THROUGH THE YEARS. WE HAVE MUCH TO LEARN. FOR THOSE OF US WHO ARE YOUNGER, WE THANK YOU FOR THE OPPORTUNITY TO GLEAN, TO GROW UNDER THEIR LEADERSHIP. FATHER, WE COME TO THE WORD AND WE LOOK AT A SCENE THAT'S OFTEN SKIPPED AFTER EASTER AND IT'S SO POWERFUL. So guide us as we go to the text. Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you would, turn to Luke 24. Luke 24, and and as we uh, go to this text, and there's a little bit of a reverb. If I could get that taken out, that would be dynamite. Thank you so much. Uh, as we go to the text, Nehemiah is, the, is uh, our next study. And believe it or not, it's sad to come to an end of a book, but today is our last Sunday looking at the Gospel of Luke. And we're going to move to Nehemiah. And Nehemiah, I'm excited about, the series is entitled Character in the Midst of a Crisis. The Lord has a way throughout history to fill in the gap. It might be a Deborah, it might be a David, and one of those was certainly a Nehemiah. And I, I am thrilled that we have an opportunity to study this work because in it I think we can glean some incredible insights, not just in leadership but how to walk with God and to allow God to work through us for His glory. So fasten your seat belts we 're going to go to the Old Testament I know that 's a shift after having been in Luke, but today we 're at the end of, of the Gospel of Luke, and it is amazing. Uh, how often the after the resurrection, it's just skipped over, and that's the ascension. If it is skipped over, it's usually taken us to the exaltation, which is great, but the ascension is very significant. So significant that Luke will end his gospel with this event, and he will start the second volume with the ascension as well. There's a reason for that, and we're going to tease some of that out today as we move through this but it's key and what I want you to see as we look at these last few verses of the gospel of Luke several of the key themes are going to percolate once again joy Holy Spirit peace a gospel that's for all people all of that's going to come crashing in in these few verses and there's two future expectations so I, I want you to see that as we look at the text as well So let's look at verse 36. It says, While they were saying these things, as Al read to us, Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. Peace occurred in chapters 1 and 2. Remember the whole scene with Jesus as a baby. Peace was, was shouted in the triumphal entry when Jesus rode that donkey. In Psalm 29, The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace mark's gospel calls it perfect peace why is it perfect because of the source its quality its quantity its consistency and and you you have to ask how can you jesus say there's peace be with you why well he was victorious over sin and death why he's the all-powerful one and why because he knows the plan don't you love it of all the things jesus could have said to those disciples who were scared spitless the first thing he says is peace he knew exactly what they needed (laughs) and notice the text says he stood among them i love that he's right there in there with them he's not some standing way far away say you got to be peaceful no he says peace i'm here you can calm down, right? You, you have to feel sorry for the disciples. I mean, they're still in shock. They're in confusion. Yes, they've seen the resurrected Lord. We know there's some other accounts in between. In Acts 1, we're told that it was 40 days of Jesus appearing to the disciples, but they're still not able to wrap their heads around what has just transpired. That's clear. Uh, the understanding of this is Jesus? What they think they see is Casper the ghost, right? They're startled. It says they think they saw a ghost. They go, wait a minute. And Jesus asked two questions of them, starting in verse 40, uh, 38. Excuse me, it's 38. It says, why are you frightened? It's interesting. There's a scene that we skipped going from the resurrection to here, and that's Jesus on the Emmaus Road and the two when he reveals himself Jesus says to them why are you so foolish why have you not got this why are you frightened and the grave danger of fear is that it can make God look very small fear can cause us to forget what we know and to lose sight of who we are and who he is I love the psalmist in Psalm 55 he writes fear and panic overpower me But as he rehearses this, he says later in the psalm, throw your burden upon the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never allow the godly to be shaken. (laughs) What grace. Here's the Lord. He appears before the disciples and he says, why are you frightened? And the second question he asks is, why do doubts arise among you? Fear leads to doubt. There's no doubt about it. No pun intended, right? Or play on words. They are skeptical. They are slow to believe. God granted a resurrected state to them. That is his form of Jesus. Grant you. It's unique. But the former existence is still seen. They recognize who he is. And, And I wonder, you know, I was thinking through this, how much of God's hand in our lives we miss because of fear and doubt. It's not until later. Notice it's not until verse fifty-two that they begin to worship him. I mean, I don't. Why were you doing that when you saw the empty tomb? It's taking some time. And let's let's face it. Fear can paralyze, can't it? And I think about the capital campaign. I've had a few rest, a few sleepless nights. Thinking, all right, Lord, how are we going to do this? And the Lord goes, just get out of the way, It's Allow me to lead. Allow me to work. And a good friend says, he, he told me once, he said, just get your grubby hands off of God's work. <laughs> Allow God to work. Allow God to lead. It, 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 it's his message. It's his church. It's his son's bride. He'll take care of it. We walk in wisdom, yes. Mm, careful planning. But we look to him. And and that's, unfortunately, fear has got these disciples in such a tizzy They're missing what God is doing. And in verse 39 or 40, the Lord is not done. He questions them, but then he says, look at my hands and my feet. And then the text tells us, he shows them his hands and his feet in verse 40. Uh, And and certainly the text tells us it's so that I, I have flesh, I have bones. But I think there's more to that. Where were the nails pierced? At the top of the hands, right? And in the feet. Look, look, look. I did this for you you don't need to be concerned I'm here for you note the Savior continues to pursue his disciples despite their doubts Hmm. their doubts do not nullify the truth or limit God's power also the Savior continues to provide evidence and to assist in their doubts their doubts do not disqualify them from God's provision don't you love that our God continues to pursue, he continues to reveal. Adolf Kubler writes in Jesus Christ, the center of history, he states, the eternal God whom no man has seen or can see, who lives in a light that no man can approach, has unveiled himself and in a manifestation of grace has become audible, visible, and tangible. Don't be frightened. Don't doubt. I'm here in your midst. And I'm not Casper, because you can see my hands and my feet. If you doubt, run to the Lord. (laughs) I think he can handle the tough questions. I mean, look at Psalm 13. It's borderline blasphemous. Where are you, O Lord? Don't you care? And as the psalmist works through that, he goes, wait a minute. I've seen God's hand. I can trust you. I know you. The Lord is the one who, and and James says, the Lord is the one who gives to all generously and without reprimand, and it will be given. And here God in his grace reveals himself again to the disciples. He says, peace be with you. He reveals himself, look at my hands, my feet. And notice what verse 41 says. And while they still could not believe it because of their joy, they were amazed. Now that phrase is really strange. I don't know about you. I'm going, wait a minute. They're joyful, yet they couldn't believe it. And, and I think what you see here in the text is a switch. The, this could not believe it is the phrase is not expressing further doubt, but one of overwhelming realization. And I, last Sunday, if you were here for Easter Sunday, I was sitting there fighting back the tears during the choir and the worship team and our tech crew, and I couldn't believe it. Oh, yeah, I, I mean, I saw. I knew who, you know, my wife was up there and other people I know, right? But i couldn't believe it i was filled with joy and that's the idea here i think what we see in verse 41 is yeah they know that but wow and notice the text says with joy matthew and mark will mention joy one time between the two of them luke has mentioned it eight times joy will be referred to twice in this text alone and you think about it where do we see joy there was joy at jesus birth repeated twice. There was joy for those who hear the word. There's joy in serving the Lord, chapter 10. There's joy in heaven for someone coming to repentance in chapter 15. What are we saying? Joy is orbiting around the Lord's activity. That's what Paul says. When he's even in prison, he can write to the church at Philippi, and he says, rejoice. Why? Because it's not life circumstances. It's who the Lord is and what God is doing. And so that's what we see here with this group these disciples it says they were joy they were amazed and he said to them and i love this do you have anything here to eat you're going what what is he talking about it's just another way to confirm who he is you you heard me you've touched me and now you're going to see I, i'm not a ghost because i can eat broiled fish uh, right uh, this idea in the midst of the chaos he meets the disciples where they are Perhaps this morning you can relate. in the midst of chaos, you see God's hand now this week, even with a couple who've been walking through cancer, is God's hand. I see the Lord in this. And Jesus then responds. Now notice what he says in verse 44. After he has met their needs, now he's going to deal with some instruction. I love it. That's the end of John 21 when he confronts Peter and restores him. What's the first thing he does? He said, here, come have something to eat. He he deals with our needs and then he moves us to the next phase. In verse 44, these are my words that I have spoken to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me, and notice this, the law of, of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. This is the only place in scripture where you'll find a trifold uh, division of the Old Testament. Normally it's the law and the prophets. He's added the Psalms here, uh, the, the complete canon. He says it's being fulfilled. And notice in these next two verses, he says a couple things about fulfillment. First of all, the fulfillment was comprehensive, it included all details, all the way from Genesis to Malachi. Right? It's being fulfilled. Uh, one commentator writes Luke's point is that Jesus is showing how the whole of Old Testament ties together as promise and how it was intended to be seen in this way. And the text tells us then he opens their eyes so they can understand the scriptures. And it reminds us of the Emmaus Road, the scene earlier where Jesus opens their eyes and he walks them through the Old Testament. Wouldn't you love to have been at that? Uh, bible study that would have been awesome and he's saying listen the fulfillment it's comprehensive secondly it is accurate the things i told you when i was with you they're being fulfilled they, they referred to me jesus is saying there, there are no surprises I, I, I that's why he can say to the two on the Emmaus road you're foolish or to the disciples why why is doubting rising up in your hearts i told you about the resurrection all the way back in chapter 9, it was spelled out I must die, be buried, and raise again. And in the upper room, in John's gospel, he highlights I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm not going to be with you forever. Good news is I'm sending the Spirit, but I'm not going to be with you forever. The fulfillment not only is comprehensive, it's accurate, but it's comprehensible. Because the text says he opened their minds. In other words, this can be known. In fact, Acts 2 says we want you to know this with certainty. Oh yes, there's things in scripture that are hard to understand. Peter even talked about that in light of Paul's letters. But we have a rather sadistic God if he's going to hold us for accountable for all eternity on something we couldn't know. He's expecting us to know these things. And notice what we are to know. It's the gospel in a nutshell, verse 46. What stands written that Christ would suffer would rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in the name to all nations. And you are my witnesses of these things. In the grammar, there are three infinitives, three instructions. The first of these is that I've come to suffer. The scriptures indicated this, that I was to die. I mean, Psalm 22, Psalm 31, 69, Psalm 118, Isaiah 53. All of these Old Testament texts mentioned that one would suffer for the people. Suffering servant of Isaiah 53, we've looked at several times. So to suffer is the first infinitive. The second infinitive is to rise from the dead. Yay, right? And we mentioned that last week. If we have a dead Savior, we don't have a Savior at all. Uh, We uh, we have to want to rose from the dead. And the third command here is to preach. The call to proclaim forgiveness that comes to those who repent of their sins. The message comes, notice, in Jesus name which is a, a major theme in the book of Acts if you think about it we're just setting us all up to get to the book of Acts in fact we're noticing that this proclamation while it begins in Jerusalem is to be all, to all nations you get to Acts 1 8 it says you are to be my witnesses where Jerusalem Judea Samaria and the uttermost parts and you see that in the layout of the gospel of Acts don't you we start in Jerusalem, it moves to Judea, Samaria, surrounding areas, and then we eventually move to Paul's missionary journeys, taking that gospel all the way to the ends of the earth. And, and we, we've talked about that, this geographical layout. Luke takes us, the gospel takes us to Jerusalem, Acts takes us from Jerusalem, and we go out. And in this, we're told, you are to be, verse 48, my witnesses, which is a key word to Luke, Acts. And so he says, this is the, the gospel. That Jesus was, to, that I was to die. I would rise from the ga- again and, uh, grave and, and you are to proclaim this. These are the commandments that I've given you. And now let me give you two promises or two instructions. He says in verse 49, and look, I'm sending you what my father promised. Jesus, the father of the mediators of that God's presence, that is the Holy Spirit. John chapter 14, in the upper room, Jesus said, I have said these things to you while I am still with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said. Right? They're in limbo land at the moment until that spirit comes. He says in John 16, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you. And elsewhere in the New Testament, the spirit is a down payment. For those of us who know Jesus Christ as our savior, that spirit is a seal. Uh, uh, Ephesians 1, the spirit is also the provider of the ingredients of the spiritual life, the fruit of the spirit. He's the agent who enables us to love righteously. And so he says to this group who aren't ready to attack hell with a water pistol. He says, listen, first thing, let me tell you. Number one, these things have been fulfilled. This should not surprise you. And, and you are going to be doing this, which is so exciting. Because, one, I'm going to be giving you the Holy Spirit. And secondly, he instructs them. Notice what the verse states in verse 49. But stay in the city until the Spirit comes. They are to wait. This is Acts chapter 2 where the Spirit comes and this rather ragtag muffin uh, who are seized by fear and doubt will change into a very ferocious lion, won't they? They'll be amazing witnesses for Christ. They'll rejoice that they're in prison. They will rejoice that they're beaten. They allow themselves to be beaten for the cause of Christ. And you see and the, the book of Acts ends where Paul is Leading another evangelistic campaign? Writing a new book? Making t-shirts? No, he's in prison. But it says he rejoices. Because it's not about us, it's about Christ and the message that goes forth. And, and the, that transformation that occurs, you see in Acts, and I love it. And you get a glimpse of it in the last four verses of Luke. Because notice what he says. Then Jesus led them as far as Bethany. And some scholars will say, oops, we have an error here because in Acts chapter 1, it says they're on the Mount of Olives. Well, Bethany is technically on the Mount of Olives. They would have left the the upper city of Jerusalem, gone down the Kidron Valley, up the Mount of Olives. Just over the ridge is Bethany, which is considered on the eastern slope of the Mount of Olives. And this is where Jesus will ascend. And the text tells us he lifts up his hands and he blesses them. Jesus' ascension is really not a departure. You say, well, what do you mean by that? It's it's more than a a farewell. It's really, it's an arrival for him. But I would argue, I believe this is the beginning. It's a reminder that Jesus goes before the church and he is with him in fulfilling the great commission. Jesus is not absent in the book of Acts. Just ask Saul later Paul, who saw Jesus on the uh, Damascus Road. Jesus is still present. He's still active. And it says he gives them a blessing. It's repeated twice. Again here in verse 51. And again, this departure. It's a vindication. Because what did Jesus say during the trial, the hearings? He said, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And that's what he's going to do. And so the first time we see in all of the gospel, in verse 52, they are worshiping Jesus. It's the first time it's recorded. It's interesting. The only other time worship is used in the gospel of Luke is during Jesus' temptations. And he said to Satan, you're to worship the Lord your God and serve only him. I would argue with them worshiping Jesus here is an understanding that he is God he is worthy to be praised. And notice they break out, and I love this in verse 52, great joy. Great joy, that phrase occurs only one other time. And that is seen in the angels in Luke, or the angel, Luke 2. The angel said to those shepherds, do not be afraid. Listen carefully. I proclaim to you good news that brings Great joy to all people. Today your Savior is born in the city of David. He is Christ the Lord. It bookends this entire gospel. The angel declares, this is the Savior. And now those followers of Jesus are going to declare, this one is our Savior. And and that's the message of the gospel of Luke. They have come to understand who he is and what he has and will accomplish. I love the writings of Robert Murray McShane. He left a diary of sorts. He was a minister in Scotland, in Dundee, in the 1800s. But listen to these words. He says, the purest joy in the world is joy in Christ Jesus. I'm happy when I have a bowl of ice cream. I'm joyful in Christ. There is a difference, Right. When the Spirit is poured down, as people get very near and clear views of the Lord Jesus. They come to a personal cleaving to the Lord. They taste that the Lord is gracious. His blood and righteousness appear infinitely perfect, full and free to their soul. They sit under His shadow with great delight. They lean on the beloved. They find strength in Him for the use of their soul, grace upon grace, all they need in every hour of trial and suffering to the very end. That's grace. And and with that grace is the joy that comes because we know this, right? And so from cowering in a room for fear of being associated with Jesus to boldly praising God because of Jesus, we see an enormous contrast, don't we, among these band of brothers. For the believer, I would argue we are not to be passive doubting cowering or lamenting we have an incredible message one full of hope and joy i mean you go back to luke 1 zachariah is looking for god and the hope that comes to israel and now you see it again here at the end of the book it's again it's bookending this entire narrative and so this morning we come to the ascension of jesus that we see here One scholar argues it's one of the most neglected aspects of Christology, the study of Christ, but it's the most significant. Why? Well, I've given you three things in your notes. Uh, You can run with these. Let me just give you the first here. Jesus is at the epicenter of God's cosmic plan. The ascension validates this. Jesus reiterates it to the disciples. All of this is to be taken place... When you think about this, the creation of the world and all that was set into motion, Christ is what this is orbiting around. Think about Colossians 1. He, Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation for all things in heaven and earth were created by him. Colossians goes on to state, he himself is before all things and all things are held together. He is the head of the body as well as the beginning. The firstborn from the dead and so that he himself might become first in all things. God was pleased to have his fullness dwell in the son and through him to reconcile all things to himself by making peace through the blood of the cross, through him, whether things on earth or things in heaven. I saw a quote this week. It said, chaos just means that you can't understand the system. <laughs> in my office can times look like chaos. Chaos. And our world looks rather chaotic, doesn't it? And perhaps your own personal life, you feel it's a little chaotic. You wish you could just go through the rooms in your soul and clean some things up. The good news is there's a system. Because Christ is fully aware, I would argue. He's fully in charge, and he will fully restore this world The the world was created with purpose and design and not created out of a mud from a puddle. Our world has purpose. It's, It's not a free fall. Our world has a future, a carefully calculated plan that has been set in motion. Our world has a savior rather than a dreadful end. We may not understand the whys, but we can rest in the who, can't we? That's Christ. Who is the epicenter? The one who ascended into heaven is sitting at the right hand of God. The writer of Hebrews comes back time and time again to the ascension. He says in Hebrews 1, verse 3, the sun is the radiance of the glory, the representation of his essence. He sustains all things by his powerful word. And so when he had accomplished, listen to what he says, cleansing our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. That's our Savior. He, he's not a ghost wandering the planet. He's not in a tomb. He's not hanging on a tree. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. And all of this has been orchestrated. And, and what comfort to know. I mean, as Jesus lays this out, he says the, the law, the prophets, the Psalms, all of this has been written and understood. This is God's revelation to us. This was his plan. And it is his plan. And he knows the end. Just look at the book of Revelation. And we could debate on aspects of the book of Revelation. At the end of the day, Christ is coming back, and he will reign supreme. And no dictator is going to stand in his way. No political party. He will reign supreme. And so Jesus is the epicenter of God's plan. But here's the great news with the ascension. It shows that Jesus remains at the very center of our lives and our message. I mean, obvious is our message. We, we are to proclaim the ascension of Christ. And that's seen time and time again in the book of Acts. They talk about Jesus, you need to believe this one who came, he died on the cross, he was buried, he rose again, and he's ascended into heaven. You, you see this. And so it's a part of our message. It's also part of our spiritual gifting this is interesting. Paul in Ephesians 4 says he, Christ, is the very one who descended. He also is the one who ascended. And he himself has given us, uh, is this to fulfill all things, but he's given us some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists. He, he's done this and he has gifted us. Why? Because he told the disciples, you're going to be my witnesses. And the next generation and the next generation, you are my witnesses. And I've gifted you to do this. Wow. What a gracious God, right? He's given us the dwelling of the Spirit. He's interceding on our behalf before the Father. And he's also given us the gifts so that we can carry out the ministry, the work here on earth. So it's our message. It's our spiritual gifting. It's our purpose. Philippians 1, 21, to die is gain. Why? Because I can be with the one who ascended. <laughs> I can be with Christ. It's, it's, it's also our spiritual walk. We, we have a great high priest who, because he's ascended, he can intercede for us. And not only that, he's given us the spirit. And I would argue it's our outlook. We have a home waiting for us. And that's the third aspect there in your notes. Jesus assures us of our future hope. In John 14, it's a familiar text. There are many dwelling places in my father's house. Otherwise, I wouldn't have told you. This is Christ. He's saying this because I'm going to make ready a place for you. In other words, there's a day coming when we've had a room has been added. If you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, room has been added onto this palatial mansion. We all live under the same roof. Yay. Right? And it says, if I go and make ready a place for you, I will come again. And take you to be with me. If there's no ascension, there's no return. So where I am, you may be too. And you may know the way where I am going. I love the words in a closing commentary by the 18th century German pietist, Johann Albrecht He Listen to what he writes. I'll read it in English. Lord Jesus, I rejoice that you're so exalted. I pray that where you are, I'll be there also. Isn't that great? That's how he closed out. I mean, this great scholar closes out his commentary with a pastoral note. I'm, I'm so excited that you've ascended, Lord. And what a day when I will be with you. We have hope. We have hope that eliminates fear and doubt and results in worship of our Savior. It's easy after an Easter when everything's glorious and everyone's dressed up and we celebrate and you come off of Easter, can be, uh, no, 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 we have hope. Because not only an empty tomb, but we have a Savior who has ascended. This morning, I want you to listen to three testimonies. We're going to play them on a video. Three individuals who, who understand what hope is all about.
2: I put my hope in having children.
3: I put my hope in my health.
2: I put my hope in having the perfect marriage and having the perfect family. Experiencing infertility was difficult and lonely and sad, but I just kept clinging on to that hope that children were in my future.
3: That was a perfect health till I was 70 years old and then suddenly things went south with stage four cancer and a variety of operations and so on. The most recent of which was was amputation of my arm due to cancer growth. I've never been one to call on, on somebody to do something for me unless I had to.
2: Everything was on track and all of my plans and hopes for my life were falling into place. And then about two months into my pregnancy, my husband told me he was done. And he wanted a different woman and a different life. All of my hopes and dreams for my life were broken. During the time of infertility, um, it was a time of hopelessness. Wanting them so desperately and not being given that at the time that I thought was right. It was a constant reminder that you're not pregnant again. And, you know, nothing seemed to provide the hope that I needed during that time. Listen, like, I got saved at four and, like, lived the perfect Christian life and went to Bible college and didn't have sex before I got married and did everything right. I didn't realize how far misplaced my hope had been.
3: My legs uh, deteriorated. I couldn't use them. In the hospital for for four months, I faced two near-death experiences. The question becomes, once that falls apart, can you still retain the hope and the strength that you need? to see your way through that. They can take your ability to to walk a straight line or even take your arm, but they cannot take your faith. They can't take away your hope and they can't take your obedience to God. You hang on to that and the rest of it falls into place.
2: There was no hope that this world was offering for me to have a child. But then I had rest in knowing He loved me enough to already have a plan for my life, whether that involved children or not. And hey, now we have four kids. (laughs) And I wouldn't trade the life that I had, that I thought I had, this perfect life, for the actual relationship that I have with God now. To be on the other side enough to know that my hope is in my God, and I don't need to hope at anything else.
1: Their hope, testified by these three individuals, stems from a Savior who has ascended. Why? Because Acts 1:11 states: this Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go to heaven. Father, well, thank you for your word. Thank you for how you have knitted it together. And even in our journey of Luke, we've, we've seen time after time an Old Testament text that enriches our understanding of your word. And as Jesus laid out from, from the law of Moses, the first five books, all the way through the prophets and the writings, the Psalms, you have been orchestrating events, a tapestry that has been woven and over time and we turn it over and we see your handiwork and we see this thread which is Christ and we thank you and Lord that that tapestry in one way isn't finished because there's a day coming when our great hope our Savior will return and Father the ascension is just a reminder there's a day coming and we thank you that you would care enough to go and prepare a place for those who have made a profession in you and what a day that will be whether it's the rapture or eventually the second coming we look Lord to you and we thank you we rejoice because the tomb is empty the cross nothing's left on it and Lord there's no ghost walking this globe our savior is sitting at your right hand interceding for us And in that, we have great hope and we thank you.